0: The following audio is from Community Bible Church in Nashville, Tennessee. For more information about our church, please visit us online at cbcnashville.org. John in chapter 10, I want to read for us the section of scripture that we've been looking through the last couple of weeks. This is John 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber, But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the strangers." I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd does not know his own sheep. He sees the wolves coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice, so that there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father." Over the last several weeks, we've been looking at this story, at the story of the Good Shepherd. And as Jeremy started with last week, we're having a mini-series of sorts, just looking at all of the various aspects of what it means to be a Good Shepherd. We started a couple of weeks ago by highlighting how Jesus is the long-awaited Shepherd. We got to look at um, Ezekiel 34 and at that passage where there's a shepherd who is going to come and uh, one day rescue his sheep from the destruction that they're in. And we got to see that that happens with Christ. And, uh, and Ezekiel 34 is fulfilled in John 10. Last week, Jeremy got to look at uh, and unpack for us what it means to be a good shepherd and how we desperately need a good shepherd. Well, next week, we're going to compare the good shepherd... With the bad shepherds, the thieves, and the robbers, and the wolves, and even the hired hands. And we're going to see how uh, we need a good shepherd because there's only one good shepherd. Well, today, before we jump onto the bad shepherds, I, I want to take a look at what it means to be a sheep. What it means to actually be in God's fold. And I don't want to blaze past that statement of what it means to be a sheep, because theres I I, I think it's appropriate for us to acknowledge the subtlety and the meaning behind even the wording of what it means to be a sheep. Just think for a moment. If I had to describe you as an animal, what animal would you like me to describe you as? Maybe for some of us, we'd want to be described as an owl, a wise old owl. Others maybe like a lion, a regal lion, or a bear, that ferocious beast, or, or loyal as a dog. Maybe even, possibly, I don't understand why, like a cat. Like as independent, maybe as feisty, maybe as moody, and I, I don't know why anyone would ever want to be described as a cat. But think about how Scripture describes us. Think about the assumption even behind the fact when I say we're going to look at what it means to be a sheep of God. The, the way that we are described in Scripture is through an animal that is known for its helplessness and hopelessness. It's a sheep. That's how the Bible describes all of us. And it's not just how he describes believers. It's actually how he describes everyone. We are all sheep. Just think about some of the qualities, though, that go with sheep. I know Jeremy mentioned this last week. I just want to highlight some more. Uh, I, I just Googled quickly. What are the characteristics of a sheep? There were eight kind of uh, major qualities. I'm going to give you the, the highlights of those. Here are the qualities of a sheep. Here's why God, as he describes us as sheep, may be what he's thinking. Sheep are timid, fearful, and easily panicked. Sheep are dumb, stupid, and, and gullible. Sheep are vulnerable to moody psychologies. I guess they're moody. I don't know. I haven't spent a whole lot of time around sheep. Sheep have little... To no self-defense, sheep are easily killed by the enemies. Sheep are jealous, competitive. Sheep are easily cast. That means they, they can flip themselves over on their backs, and guess what? They can't get up on their own. Sheep are, in need, are Sheep need the most care of all livestock. It is not a pretty description of sheep. And yet that is how we are described. You know it's interesting as, as 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 I say that we are all described as sheep one of the scenes that kept popping in my head this week as I've been studying over the sheep is from a, a movie that's come out in the last I don't know decade it's American Sniper and there's a scene in there where Chris Kyle's dad it's like a flashback to his childhood they're sitting at their kitchen table and his dad and trying to make his sons uh the men that he wants them to be sits down and goes Sons, there's three types of people in this world. There's wolves, there's sheep, and there's sheepdogs. And he has this whole scene of make sure that you're not a wolf and make sure that you're not a helpless sheep. Make sure that you are a sheepdog. And there's this idea kind of in that of of assuming that we can transform ourselves into something other than the sheep. That we can get around the fact of being timid and dumb and gullible and vulnerable and jealous and easily flipped over and can't flip ourselves back. That we can think that we can get around the fact that we aren't sheep. But the reality is, is that no matter how much we try or how often we can lie to ourselves... We can never transform ourselves into anything other than a sheep. And here's why I say that. Because a sheep needs a shepherd. A sheep needs to follow something. A sheep has to find their life outside of themselves. A sheep can't be self-sustaining. That's us. As creatures, God has created us. This is why the description of a sheep is not just for believers, but all mankind. God has created us to rely on things outside of us. God has created us for us to look outside of us for our direction in life, for our meaning in life, for our purpose in life. This is why if you put somebody in, 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 if, if you... Make somebody be alone, and even if you put somebody in this, in this directionless life, they go crazy because we were designed to follow and, 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 and strive hard after things outside of us. Allow me to illustrate this. Because I think the easiest way to see our sheepness, if I can make a word, is to talk, is to talk about idols. John Calvin famously said that man's nature is a perpetual factory of idols. That essentially man loves to make idols out of everything. He said this in his Institutes, but he goes on, on to say this just a couple of sentences later. He goes, man's mind, full as it is of pride and boldness, dares to imagine a God according to its own capacity. As it sluggishly plods, indeed is overwhelmed with the cr- crassness ignorance, it conceives an unreality and an empty appearance as God. Essentially what he's saying is man is willing to take anything and turn it into an idol. Man is willing to take anything and run after that as the purpose for which we are living. We love to make idols. We love to make shepherds to follow. I mean, I, I could, I could illustrate this by any number of of ideas or shepherds, you know, with power and pleasure and wisdom and personal achievement. I've been thinking about like Ecclesiastes where you have uh, Solomon who's like, I've tried all of these things and essentially what he's saying is, I've tried all of these things to satisfy myself and in the end, all is vanity. One way to look at that is, I've tried all of these different voices from shepherds and tried to follow all of this stuff, but in the end, none of them satisfy but I want to highlight one idol in particular this morning. And I only highlight this idol because the Bible continually highlights this idol. Because we can be so easily lured away from the good shepherd by this one false voice, by this one false shepherd. And it's one that we deal with all the time. And it's one that it's going to hurt everyone because we all, it, 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 it affects us all. And that idol is money. We have always struggled to idolize money from the very beginning. And I want to highlight that by two verses. One verse from the Old Testament and one verse from the New Testament. Therefore, it's something that David had to deal with and Christ had to deal with and we have to deal with. This is Psalm 135, 15 through 18. The idols of the nations are silver and gold. The work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. They have eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear, nor is there any breath in their mouth. And listen to this, those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. Those who make the silver and gold become like them. The appearance of something great, but they are blind, deaf, mute, and dumb, and can't do anything. And those who trust in them become like them. And here from Matthew 6. Jesus says, you cannot serve two masters for either you'll hate the one and love the other or you you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You go, okay, great, great. Listen how he just quickly throws us in here. You can't serve God in money. It's like all of a sudden he illustrates this. Go. So by the way, you can't uh, find your satisfaction, find your direction, find your hope in money. I point all of this out because the answer to our struggles in life is not stop trying to be a sheep. Stop trying to follow after something. The answer to all of our problems in life is not just go be independent. Just go be that sheepdog. The answer, rather, is for us to follow the right thing. And so the question that we're actually going to look at next week but really it sets all of this up is are you following the right shepherd are you following the right voice is the person that's in your mind in your heart is the person that is driving you is it actually the good shepherd or is it one of these other false shepherds again we're going to look at the false shepherds next week but what i want to do today is i want to look at what does it mean to be a sheep for christ what does it mean to actually follow Christ? And I, I've, I've, I've worked hard to try to make this as simple as possible. Because when you look at the topic of what does it mean to be a sheep and what do sheep do, one of the things that I've noticed is that so many pastors stress so many different things that the sheep has to do. And all of these things come down to, to you know, a lot of times just personal preferences And these nuanced answers. I mean books and blog articles and podcasts have been dedicated to this answer. If you're going to follow Christ. If you're going to be a sheep for Christ. If if you're going to follow the good shepherd. This is what you have to do. And there's going to be all these lists of things. So I've tried hard to make this as simple as possible. And it comes down to I think three words. What does it mean to be a sheep for Christ? And here here are the three words. Listen follow, and trust. If you are going to be a sheep of the good shepherd, you're going to listen, follow, and trust. We can break this down. Listen. If you're going to follow the good shepherd, you have to listen to the voice of the shepherd. Our lives are filled with information. We live in this world that bombards us with voices, with knowledge, with stuff. I mean, we live in a day and age that if you want to go research one thing, you know, even if it's a nuanced thing, you can find hundreds and thousands of, of words, of minutes, of, of resources for that particular thing because we have so much stuff just bombarding us throughout life. And all of these, all this information has this underlying assumption with it. All this new information has this idea that goes along with it. And it's this. This is what is finally going to fulfill your life. I, I, this, this week, we, we did kind of a um, novel task. We went back in time for a moment. And we watched TV with the commercials. Like we actually watched a show that was airing at the time that it was, it was on, so we couldn't fast forward the commercials. And one of the things that I've noticed about these commercials is that regardless of what it is, whether it is a car, whether it's some medication that for, to have some problem, or whether it's some uh, sports team, the underlying assumption with all of this is this is what's finally going to make you happy. Take this, buy this, uh, cheer for this, and then on the other side of it is going to be satisfaction problem is these are all empty promises because they understand that we're sheep that need a shepherd that 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 need to be called and say hey come this way this is this is where the good pasture is this is how you can achieve a happy a happy life but all of them outside of the good shepherd are those idols that i mentioned earlier they're all saying look over here for your happiness and yet it is an empty promise our world are masters at promoting their messages We live in that all day long. With my girls in the school they go to, they are constantly being bombarded by all of these lies to say this is what is actually going to satisfy you. And yet, all of those voices can start to muddy the waters of who we actually need to pay attention to. And that's why when we start by looking at what does it mean to be a sheep for God, I start by saying, listen. Because the voices that are in your head, the voices that you hear the most, the information that you take in is going to affect you, is going to influence you. I mean, we, we don't have to look any further than uh, our, our accents here in the South. There's some of you who have moved from various parts of the country and you come in and start to say really weird things to us like it's not the 40, it's I-40. For all you Californians, some of you have no idea what y'all means. We have some really weird southern contractions here. We know that. But one of the things I notice is if you've been around here for a while and the 40 drops off real fast, y'all starts to enter into your vocabulary because it's a really great word like that. It's just all encompassing there. And the people around us, the rest of these, of these um, southerners, influence us. Excuse me. Sorry. <laughs> They they influence us because we're influenced by what we listen to. We're influenced by our surroundings. Early on, when I was a, um, training for ministry, I was an intern here at the church. And I was an intern under my, the, I was an intern a couple of times here, but I was an intern under my student ministries pastor. He was really the first guy that pulled me aside and said, hey, Ryan, uh, y- you might be called to ministry. It really seems that you like what was happening here. I, we, we can see these gifts that you have been gifted in this way. You should consider going into ministry. And so he gave me some opportunities to teach and, and to preach. And one of the things, if you've been around here even there in this time, one of the um, I call it a criticism. You guys called it an observation. One of the observations that came from my sermons is I sounded just like my youth pastor. Like I had all of, his, all of his mannerisms. I had his hand gestures. I had his vocal tones. And it's because I had been so influenced by him as a pastor. I had listened to so many of his messages that I mimicked him up here. And people again were like, hey, uh, you know that you should sound like yourself and not like that guy over there. And it highlights the fact of how easy we can be influenced in one direction or a, uh, a another. So the question that I have: Whose voice are you hearing the most? Whose voice are you listening to? Whose voice has the loudest is 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 projected in your life the loudest? This is why in John 10, when it says, "He goes to him, the gatekeeper opens." and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out you can have this image where the shepherd walks in and there's other sheep there and he says hey guys we're going this way and because they have heard this shepherd because they know what his voice sounds like they're going to go oh he's calling me to go this direction in John 10 14 he goes I am the good shepherd I know my own and my own know me so the question is, do you actually know the Father? Do you know what his voice sounds like? Have you spent enough time with him in life? Have you paid attention to him? Have you, have you paid attention to what he calls you to so that when he speaks, when we're in those opportunities where we're looking for, which direction are we going? Can you hear his voice? And that gets us to the next part. Follow him. Because hearing his voice is not enough. Enough. Knowing that's my shepherd, but I'm not going to follow him is pointless. Because if he's leading you in the paths that he wants you to go, and you're unwilling to follow him, there's a problem. And so the next part of this triad is the sheep follows what he hears. He follows the voice of the shepherd. What's interesting in life is that Jesus doesn't take us out. Jesus doesn't remove us from our world with other shepherds. I can't say only listen to the voice of the good shepherd. The reason I can't say that is we live in a broken world. The reason I can't say that is is there's going to be other critics around. I mean, I... Actually, actively at times, I want to listen to the other side of the argument. I want to listen to people that don't believe in God. I want to see what their perspective is because I can benefit from their criticisms or I can benefit from their viewpoint so that I I can uh, know how I can present to them the truth better. Jesus doesn't say, stop listening to those shepherds. Rather, he goes, listen to my voice and follow my voice. So a lot of times with the following is we're only called to follow the voice of the Good Shepherd. And what's this look like? Well, it's a word that we struggle to use at times. But I think the best word to use here is obedience. We're called to obey what the Good Shepherd calls us to do. We're called to obey where the Good Shepherd calls us to go. We're called to obey the voice of the Good Shepherd and follow him. Turn for a moment to the book of James, James chapter 4. James is one of those books that it's, there's a lot here in it. But there's a section at the end where James is really rebuking the, the, the followers of Jesus because they're trying to follow the good shepherd and follow their other shepherds. They're trying to have one foot in the world and appease the world and have one foot over with Christ. And, a peace Christ. and at the end, he gets down to this, James gets down to having this warning. And essentially what this warning is, is you can't be friends with both the good shepherd and the other shepherds because they are opposed to each other. And look what it says in James 4. I, I want to read the first 10 verses of James 4. It says this, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. To spend it on your passions, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself to be an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is no purpose that the scripture says? He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us but he gives us more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep, and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. James doesn't pull any punches as he's describing our relationship with the world, as he's describing our relationship with these other shepherds. But look at the very last verse in James 4. It's a difficult one. So, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. To him who hears the voice of the shepherd and knows what the shepherd wants him to do but does not follow it, to him it is sin. I think so often we can assume that our shepherd is there and we just kind of stay put and he, he doesn't call us to do anything. Like his, his sheep just sit there and there's, and there's no expectation for a response to his words. Yet the good shepherd is very clear that we are called to follow God. That if we are going to be a sheep for Christ, a sheep for God, that at times he is going to call us to do things. Think again about the whole overlying argument that's been going on in in the Feast of Booze with John 5, or no, John 7 through 10. The whole thing, I've mentioned it multiple times now. Jesus is pointing out which kingdom are you going to follow? Are you going to follow the kingdom of man or are you going to follow the kingdom of Christ? Are you going to follow the religious leaders of the day and what they call you to do? Or are you going to follow me? Here, this good shepherd in John 10, Jesus is illustrating this fact of which shepherd are you actually going to follow here? Whose voice are you going to run after? Who are you going to obey? Is it going to be these other false prophets, these other uh, robbers and thieves and wolves? Or are you going to follow the good shepherd that is calling you to the right path, that is calling you to what God wants? And I emphasize this because we so often in life want to be able to say, well, I'm going to do both. I'm going to follow both. I'm going to have one foot in man's kingdom. I'm going to have one foot in God's kingdom, and I'm just going to be able to handle that. But clearly, James 4 identifies the fact that we can't handle that. And I would go back to what I read in Matthew 6. We can't serve two masters. We can't have one foot in the world and follow what their shepherds are calling us to, and one foot with God and and following what God's calling us to. You have to pick. So not only am I going to ask you, who are you listening to? The other question I'm going to ask you is, who are you following? Who are the chief shepherds in your own life? Who are you believing and listening to and allowing them to draw you out? And it can be so easy for us to be lured away from the good shepherd. It can be so easy for us to assume, well... A little bit of this other shepherd over here isn't really going to totally negate the fact that I'm following the good shepherd. We we can assume that we can have two masters. And yet scripture is clear and Jesus is clear. You cannot follow two masters. There's a a verse in James. It's in James 1. I'm not going to read it, but I'll, I'll explain it. He's talking about sin. He's talking about being lured away from God. And it starts with being lured away. And you're lured away to desires of the flesh. And you're lured into going, well, I'm going to do what makes my, my, my flesh feel good. And you're like, you know, a little bit of sin, a, just a, light, a white lie, one step in the wrong direction isn't that bad. I'm just backtracking a little bit. Well, that one little backtrack leads you to death. And so, I would ask you in the good times, when you think you are in lockstep with God, are there areas in your life that you are not allowing, that you're not following God? Are there areas in your life where you are allowing to remain in your sin, to go a different direction, where you know what God is calling you to do? but you're unwilling to do it. That's just a question that I would ask you in the good times because I know when the storms of life come up, when we're actually kind of put to the task of are you going to choose Christ or are you going to choose the world, that we are going to rise to the level of our training. If I can quote some other shepherd that said it, not the good shepherd. So who are you following? But all of this leads to trust. As I've said, listen, follow, and trust. The sheep trusts that wherever the shepherd takes them, it's the right decision. And I think the best way to illustrate this is to actually look at another shepherd, describe his trust in the good shepherd. So if you will, turn to Psalm 23. I know it's a psalm that we all know really well. It's read often. It's a great comfort to us all. But with the lens of listening and following and now trusting, hear again this psalm. And hear the words of trust that are behind this psalm. Because you have David, who was a shepherd, so he knew sheep really well. Then consider that God is his shepherd. So he's placing himself in the role of the sheep. He knows that he's vulnerable, he's weak, he's stupid, he's ignorant. he's, He's okay with that description. And he gets down to describing then who God is and what comes out of this very short psalm, but this sweet psalm, is this understanding of I am going to trust in my good shepherd because he's never going to leave me nor forsake, nor forsake me. Just hear this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. forever. Hear the words of assurance that are in David's psalm. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because I know you're with me. David could enter into the valley of the shadow of death, those really difficult moments that we all go through in life because of sin, and think, God, you are not here with me. You have led me in the wrong direction. I have clearly made a mistake. God, this is not your purpose and will. But rather, he goes, no, you're my shepherd. You're here. And you're going to give me everything that I need. And you're going to protect me. He, he, could, he could say, well, I'm the one who found the green pastures. I'm the one who found the water. I'm the one who has restored my soul. And yet he goes, no, 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 that's, that's, that's you. I've trusted that by following you, that by listening to you, you are going to give me everything that I need. And you have demonstrated that over and over and over again. It's so easy in our life to be willing to listen <clears throat> and then to be willing to follow, but not be willing to trust. And that can bring so much despair because it, we live in this constant cloud of anxiety and, and doubt and depression and fear of what is going to happen. But as a sheep of God, what we get to trust in, what we get to rest in is that our shepherd, our good shepherd is never going to leave us nor forsake us. Imagine the gift that that sheep have. They have one job. Look at the shepherd. Listen to the shepherd. Follow the shepherd. I mean, It's very simple. You're going to graze along the way. You're going to get water when you have water. They can trust the fact that I don't know what's coming. I don't know where we have to be. I don't know when we have to be there. I don't know anything else except I'm going to follow the shepherd. And they trust that we can so often take our trust away from him and start trusting in ourselves. We can so often think that it's like, well, the person I have to trust is me to keep up with the shepherd. But then we have other parables, like he leaves the the 99 sheep to go find the one sheep. So even when you're lost, if you're his sheep, he's going to find you, he's going to keep you, he's going to uh, make you safe. Therefore, we get to trust the fact that whatever happens in our life, Is what the good shepherd wants to happen. I have one last thought just prior to us closing, and it's this. Some days are easier to follow the Lord than than others. Some days it's easier to follow that good shepherd when the stakes aren't high, when the problems really aren't complex, when the situations aren't as personal. It's easy for us. To say, yes, I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to listen to what he says. I'm going to obey his voice. I'm going to trust that whatever comes down the pike is exactly what God wants to happen. It's easy in the good days. It's really hard in the bad days. It's really hard when situations are, are heightened and when people are criticizing us for following Christ. And what I've noticed is that recently the situations and the conversations and what we have to do in life, it, 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 we're not necessarily in easy days any, anymore. That following Christ, following the good shepherd, following his word, listening and obeying and, and trusting, it, it's, it's, it's getting a little harder. And here's what I would leave us all with. It's really the question of, Whose kingdom are you going to trust in? Are you going to trust in God's? Or are you going to trust in the world's? Whose kingdom do you think can do more damage? God's or the world's? I can't look at history and then stand up here and say that if you follow Christ, there's going to be no pain in your life. I can't look at history and say, if you follow Christ, your life is going to get better. I can't look at history and say, if you follow Christ, you're not even going to be persecuted or maybe even perhaps die for him. Because if we look at history, all of those things have happened. People's lives have been ruined because they find the good shepherd. People's lives have been persecuted because they find the good shepherd. People have died because of the good shepherd. But here's what they are trusting in and we can know That the world can't. That the world might kill our bodies, but the world can't kill our souls. And that the person that we need to fear the most is not the person that can kill our body, but the person who, who can kill our soul. But as his sheep, when we listen to his voice, when we follow his law, and when we trust him, we can know, very much like this last song, prior to me getting up to preach, that though we are weeping, there's joy waiting for us in heaven. We have an opportunity to be, the, to be sheeps for Christ. And while this world is not making it easy, because all of the other shepherds want to mute the good shepherd, all of the other shepherds are trying to discredit the good shepherd, all of the other shepherds are trying to steal the sheep away from the good shepherd, we get the opportunity to follow the good shepherd who will, who will never leave us nor forsake us. As we turn our attention towards communion this morning, uh, if I can just preach a little section of next week's sermon. The difference between the good shepherd and all of the other shepherds is that the other shepherds are willing to sacrifice the sheep for their own well-being. The other shepherds are looking out for themselves alone. Their, Their message is get in line... And if you obey it enough, and if you do enough, and if you uh, fill me up, well, then I will bless you. Christ's message, the good shepherd, is completely different. He lays his life down for the sheep. He doesn't say, if you can do enough, if you can obey enough, if, if you will make my life easier, then I will accept you. No, he comes in when we are enemies. And he dies for us. And he sacrifices himself. And who in the world would die for a stupid sheep? Christ would. So when we take the table together this morning, we celebrate the fact that this body and blood is our savior, our good shepherd, our Messiah that died for us so that we in our meekness and our humility and our stupidity and our unworthiness get to stand here and go well hallelujah that even while we were weak and dead and in sin he took on flesh to live the life that we needed to live to die the death that was required because of our sin